the starting lineup for your Gangsters, what's up guys? Are you a slacker? Envy. I'm not gonna debate you, Jerry. God bless the internet. Welcome to Flicking and Screaming. I am Jed Sprague here with my co-hosts, Evan Fagundis. Hey. And JT Chipman. What's going on? And joining the pod this week for a very special episode, we have a very, 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 very special guest, Sean Moran. Among other things, a friend, a colleague, and host of the Regression to the Mean podcast. Sean, welcome to the pod, man. Long time coming. Wow, already just making me feel insecure about my own hosting skills with that kind of, of intro. Uh, thank you for the introduction. Thank you, everybody, for having me. I am juiced. And I'm that just woke me up. So I appreciate that, Chad. And this week, we are going to be talking about Christopher Nolan and a little bit specifically about his newest film, Oppenheimer, before we get into our definitive Christopher Nolan ranking but before we do that gentlemen how are we doing evan how are you man i'm doing so well and i have to say that this pod is a huge huge part of it i've been trying to open up a little bit more in these intros about what i have going on but right now i I have a singular focus with you three gentlemen um talking about another gentleman uh, an english gentleman named christopher nolan and i've been so excited for basically a couple months now leading up to to this week and i feel like it's reaching um a bit of a of a crescendo here so i'm juiced hey you know what they say there there might not be any friends at dusk uh, but there are friends on this podcast and i'm ready to rock and roll i've got nothing to say for my life i just i just want to i just want to rock and roll i just want to get going there it is sean how are you i'm uh i'm good um i the vibes are very positive today one could say that it's been a chain reaction of mm. good vibes. That's where I'm at right now. See, and that's what we get by adding another podcast host to this. It's a segue unlike any other. True pro. Yeah, true pro. So first question about Christopher Nolan, guys. Uh, is he more of a lad or a bloke, you think? Mm. Certainly a lad. The suits, <laughs> the scarves. Lad. That yeah. feels a little blokish to me. The suits suits lean a little more bloke. Uh. I, I, I but I always I think of like fancy lad, you know, like that. Type, mm-hmm. And a bloke is like a guy who you meet in a bar. Am I? I don't know anything. Bloke, about. bloke is very much a pub guy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Throwing darts. You're throwing darts at the pub. I, if you're a bloke. He he could have been a bloke guy in his for when he first started mm-hmm. movies, but he is for sure transitioned to a lad. A bloke doesn't make tenant. A lad makes tenant. And <laughs> I'll I'll leave it at that. I I, I think that's a fair assessment. We're here to talk about Christopher Nolan, guys. This has been a uh, a filmmaker that I think we have kind of like skirted around for the most part. Mm-hmm. Probably one of our most like talked about, one of uh, our as in like the greater public's most celebrated uh, filmmakers of mm-hmm. the last you know 25 years. And yet, this is the first time that he's being uh, brought to task on flicking and screaming. I think the first question I have, uh, Sean. You wanted to be on this podcast. For those of you that don't know, Sean is a longtime friend. Of Evan and I's. Uh, in fact, we even had been texting about movies like pre-podcast. He was in very much involved in like the flicking and screaming DNA. And the one thing he said when we started the pod was, "I got to get on the Nolan episode." So I got to know why. Why did you want to be on this episode today? 
Because I'm a bro. I'm a bro yes. through and through, and a bro loves Christopher Nolan. I can't deny who I am. Um, and as I've gotten older and I've objectively watched some of his movies, it's like, wait, why are the women characters always committing suicide? Uh, but that's for a, another point in the podcast. Um, however, I think The Dark Knight is just all-time movie the bank intro scene, all-time intro scene. It just captivates you. And then basically I made a commitment. I am going to watch every one of these guys' movies when they come out. And I think Interstellar was that moment for me where it was just this huge, huge concept of love, emotion, space. And I was just like 16, 17 years old. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. So I've just been growing up with Nolan, just been growing out with the Nolan bros. So that's why I'm here. And I, I love the movies he makes. They're just so big, such big swings, take so many risks. And in an era of, you know, comic book movies, cookie cutter stuff, Christopher Nolan is putting out original content. Um, and I gotta, gotta respect that. In many ways, I think Chris Nolan is like a gateway drug sometimes uh, to like a love of film. I think there's a lot of people who, you know, watch his movies that maybe are casually interested in movies or, you know, only watch blockbusters and are like, whoa, something's different here. Let's take a deep dive. And then it leads them, you know, down a long road uh, that might educate them on film history. And even I know there's the stereotypical film bro, right? You know, Inception's the greatest movie ever made. Uh, please read this Reddit thread. Why? But, you know, there are a lot of people. And I think I don't know if I count myself as like him being like the pure gateway drug, but his films are definitely like early on in my uh, in what I feel like is like my love for like looking beyond what I'm seeing on the screen, you know, like movies that make you really think. Uh, and I think that's what, you know, part of the reason we all, we all sit here on this podcast is because we like movies and art that uh, that make us think. Uh, Chip, when you think about the hallmarks of Nolan, what comes to mind? I think maybe the first thing I think about is the sound of Christopher Nolan. And mm. part of that is how memed his sound has been, whether it's the inception bombs, whether it's people nitpicking the sound mixing, which I think is a little bit silly. And we'll talk about that again a little bit later, but it's a total sensory experience with Christopher Nolan. All five senses are overwhelmed. And the number one sense that, that comes top of mind is um, just the ear ringing sensation of leaving an IMAX theater or just any theater because I saw Oppenheimer just in regular old DCP and I was still like had a headache afterwards because it was so loud so it doesn't really matter the format you're going to come away overwhelmed whether it's Hans Zimmer whether it's Ludwig Göransson and whether it's the the character's dialogue like in Tenet just screaming over a jet plane that's blowing up right that sound is is what I think of for Nolan first of all um yeah sound is a great no i was just going to say like scale overall and i feel like that's something that he captures so well and does like we're talking a lot about the themes in nolan's movies and we're kind of hinting at you know how deep his movies are but at the same time what this man loves is ju just to make a a big movie he just like loves to have big things on screen even the humans in his movies he wants to make look very big um but he loves big explosions he loves big action sequences he loves big sound i mean he loves a big twist right like he he is almost very simple in a way because he's making these seemingly complex movies but his whole goal is to have a lot of blasts and bangs and to end with somebody going 
whoa, like I got to go back and look at the third scene in the movie to see that, you know, he wasn't on the left side of the car. He was on the right. You know, like he he kind of loves these very simple things. And I feel like that's why he has become so universal. Yeah. You know, I, I think I was messaging you guys about this uh, in the group message earlier this week. But there is a very specific feeling that I have when I finish a Nolan movie. Yes. And it is just this feeling of like, I think awe is maybe the right word to describe it, but not necessarily awe in, wow, that was the perfect movie or wow, no, no. It's more just like awe that he made the choices that he did. He's bold. That I think for me, like, that's the way I like to describe him is like, it kind of, I feel summarizes in some ways, the sound, the scale. He just does everything boldly and with confidence. And I think that's what makes him such an exciting filmmaker is because you know that whatever he's going to tackle, he's going to attempt to do it to the nth degree, right? He's never going to scale things down. He's never going to try to make things uh, fit within his comfort zone. He's always pushing, how can I go further? How can I go further? How can I be bolder? And I think that is uh, maybe no more apparent than in his latest film, Oppenheimer. So uh, I got to ask, what do you guys think? Oppenheimer, Evan? I'll just bounce it right back to you. Give me your quick oppie notes. Yeah, my quick oppie notes were are um, that I, I was like stunned walking out of the movie theater. And I think it had to do with the IMAX format and the IMAX sound, um, you know, uh, for sure factors in. So I don't know if I would have had the exact same like sensory experience um, or appreciation if I had watched this movie like at home in three months when it comes out. However, I think the filmmaking itself and the movie itself speaks, you know, holds up in any sort of format. I'm excited to see it actually maybe on a smaller screen and and see what I can get out of it. But I was blown away, like so many great performances. The spectacle was incredible. And I think he did do some things in Oppenheimer um, with some of his quick cutting montage that uh, that he expanded. It's like stuff that he's done before, but it seemed like he took it to a whole nother level. And I mean, I unequivocally love the movie. Yeah. Sean, what about you? I think what stood out first and foremost, um, it's a biopic. I didn't, you know, you think you're going in to see a movie about, about the bomb. And of course it's about the bomb, but it's more about Robert Oppenheimer, the scientist, the man, um, his career and everything that happened after um, the Manhattan project. I found it to be such a, unique deep dive into the character. And I was just floored for the first two hours. I mean, I, I don't think I took a single breath for the first two hours of that movie. The last hour was fantastic. I think just the acting performances got out of it were just phenomenal. And I thought the writing really stood up. Some of the previous scripts that have come out recently with Nolan, not to name any names, <laughs> Tenet, like the, the scripts haven't been incredible, um, but I thought everything was married perfectly. Sound design, cinematography, script. He landed the plane perfectly and it was kind of felt like a culmination of everything he's been working on in his career. Chip. Sean, I don't know if I can agree with you there on Tenet yet, but I will say, I mean- I love screen- Tenet, I love Tenet, <laughs> I love it. But sure, the, 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 the screenplay is the thing that you would poke at with Tenet, right? Oppenheimer's script it's amazing because it's the first like adapted thing he's done basically since the Batman movies I don't even regard however you call those like adapted or not right because they are cribbed from like different comic book stories but I don't think it's a coincidence that 
Oppenheimer is maybe Nolan's best script, and it is an adapted screenplay from American Prometheus in that so much, I haven't read it, but from what people tell me, it is directly lifted from how the book is even structured, lines of dialogue, speeches. It's straight from it. And I think that was a really good and very bold choice for Nolan because Nolan loves to put his name as like written, produced, directed. He wants to be the guy. Maybe he shares it with his brother, Jonathan, but he wants to be the guy. In this case, he knew that the book, American Prometheus, did it perfectly. And he was like, all right, let's just get the world's best actors to read pages from this book. And I'm going to shoot it with these amazing cameras. And it's going to be amazing. I agree with you guys, but like, let's not downplay the fact that I don't think the like quick millisecond intercuts of explosions and splitting atoms. I don't think that was on the pages of, of the novel. If I'm uh, mistaken, I haven't read it, but, uh, but that's the kind of vision that I think like takes it to the next level that like brings it so far beyond screenplay. Like you talked about for the first two hours, you are literally pinned back in your seat. Um, it is a, I, I saw an IMAX. I, I was not lucky enough to see it in, in uh, 70 millimeter, but I was legitimately, yeah, those those uh, coastal elites over there are making faces at me. But uh, I saw it in the lone Reno IMAX uh, theater and was very happy that I, I drove out uh, 20 minutes to get to that IMAX theater because it was a, like a physical experience. You know, you were like fighting with your body and your mind to uh, not just like hold attention uh, in like the right places, but just like physically you were... I was actively uncomfortable, not in a way that was like necessarily negative, but it was not an experience where I was like comfortable in my seat and I was sitting there all relaxed and taking in what he was putting at me. I was, I felt like I was so like physically engaged. I was sitting stick straight. I was at times pinned back into my seat. That is what I think blew me away most about it is how like exhausted I was after watching this movie uh, because of the actual physical experience of it. And that's not something that I have, I don't know if I could say that I've felt that about any other movie. There are other movies where I've, I felt the visual spectacle and maybe I felt the sound, but that combination of sound of, of the visuals and like the pure scale, like even just some of the close up shots of the actors, it, it, it was jarring at how big they were in front of me. And, and I mean that in both in a literal sense and in like a metaphorical sense. So for me, that is what I continue to rack my brain out about is like, how he was able to pull off that type of physical experience. And Evan, I think in a similar thing to what you were talking about is it does concern me a little bit or it piques my interest with seeing how it's going to translate to watching it at home. Like, will it be the same at all? You know, like, will, will I like it as much as I can, I continue to age with it? Or was it this thing that will be such a special moment in time that I got to experience and it almost makes me want to go back to the theater and see it again so that I can experience it again. Yeah, I, I think that that script is so good, though, that that's what's going to make sure that it holds up. You know, I, I do get it when some people say they can't recreate that feeling that they had watching Inception in a theater in 2010 when they watch it on their 46 inch TV right now. I, I understand where they're coming from. Um, but this movie does go beyond the the spectacle. But like what he does so well, too, is create tension. And I think tension does play at home and and what he did in this movie that's different than some of the others like interstellar when dr man is trying to to steal the escape pod um and get back in inception when they're doing the triple cross cutting at the end he creates these moments these like 20 25 minute 
um, long cross-cutting scenes that that build tension so much because they're almost incomplete as you go through. But Oppenheimer, he's doing that for two straight hours, and he's doing it with conversations, which is just kind of insane. And I don't really know how somebody even is able to think that up or when they put it on the page i don't know how they're actually able to to actualize that i feel like it must have felt very weird when people were filming fragments of scenes or, or shooting fragments of scenes and not really understanding how it's going to be cut together but i guess that's what uh you know 25 years of making high quality films buys you well i think we have to give credit to jennifer lame here who edited the film and she's edited oppenheimer and tenet now she also edited like manchester by the sea hereditary she's got a very small francis filmography ha. but a very quality filmography right francis now francis ha and francis ha which is amazingly edited another another black and white film which is pretty interesting um but I think that editing is just so alive, and that's what's going to make the movie pop. Like, of course, the bomb isn't going to feel the same at home. I think that if you throw on like a nice pair of headphones, you can get a you can get a taste of that experience, but it's never going to be the same as seeing an IMAX. But that editing, that cross cutting. I mean, I don't know. I'm a guy who like watches JFK like at home all the time, just because it makes me feel so alive and just so you know, it's a fucking cocainey movie, right? Movies like that are going to last a very long time, regardless of what format you watch it in. What was so fascinating about about the editing that you're that you're calling out, um, Oppenheimer was in a lot of turmoil when he was young. Um, I'm actually reading a book all about the making of the atomic bomb. Um, he was in a lot of turmoil. He couldn't really figure out who he was, what his standing was. He really struggled. And it was so interesting, the beginning of this movie and the editing in particular, where they're showing electrons moving. And over time, as Oppenheimer starts to have a scientific discovery, the electrons vibrate in place and they move. And Oppenheimer, one of his major discoveries was the vibration of electron. Um, I forget, like, whatever. I'm not a scientist, right? But he was very involved in figuring out that electron bands vibrate. And Nolan was able to articulate scientific discovery and bring it back to Oppenheimer's growth as a character and as a person made like the first 45 minutes just so spectacular. And you really got that in editing. And I don't think I've ever seen on screen scientific discovery laid out like that. And it was so, so fascinating to see it in that way. This movie really made me reflect on the fact that like we don't respect scientists anymore in like the world. And I was just like, or maybe the argument is like, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe like what happens when everyone like celebrates scientists <laughs> is like weapons get made of mass destruction get made. Um, but or the big they, they're theorists. They're theorists. They're not uh, they're not pressing the button. They're theorists. They're not pressing the button, but they built the shit. Um, but no, uh, I, I thought that was very interesting. Obviously, we love no uh, we know no one loves a little bit of science. We've kind of been dancing around. There's so much to talk about. And I think we'll talk about it a little bit more when we get to the ranking. But I, I want to kind of zoom through. We've danced around some of the performances. Let's touch on Killian Murphy, but then I really am interested to know everybody else's uh, favorite supporting performance. Uh, because I think it's a movie where you can really latch on to uh, somebody different. And I know that while we've all appreciated uh, some that we think other, some of us think certain performances are, are more significant than others. So, uh, Evan, what, what do you think about Killian's performance as J. Robert Oppenheimer? Oh, man, I... I've almost been a bit bothered listening to people talk about this movie because it's almost like his performance is so undeniable that everyone just sort of glosses over it and wants to talk about the other people, right? Like people coming in and, and giving four great scenes. 
Killian Murphy holds this movie together. Like his, the gravity that he brings, him along with the editing is what makes the sequences at the beginning of the movie, which kind of amount to the movie Limitless with Bradley Cooper, you know, where he can like read a book in five seconds. That's kind of what the beginning of this movie is doing. He's sort of just like looking at art, watching some glasses break and like reading a couple books. And it's like his mind has expanded, but you believe it because of Killian Murphy, I think, because he has that engaging look and uh, and kind of that like haunting um, factor to him. But I just thought he was he was perfect in this movie. He was simultaneously powerful um, through the first part of this movie, but also so frail. And and part of that was his physical makeup. But he he looked like he could blow away in the Los Alamos winds, right, half the time. But then the other half of the time, he is like, you know, dictating the direction of the world at, at his fingertips based on these conversations that he's leading um, with people, you know, who are titans of industry. So I I thought it was awesome. The way he's able to intercut between pure confidence and uh, complete unassuredness is like one of the most remarkable parts about the performance for me. Like, yeah. like it, the intercutting between him in the beginning, and then if you go to uh, you know his first meeting with with Matt Damon's character, uh, you know when he is basically knows he already has the job and he's basically shooting the shit with him, and he's like, yeah, I know I'm like the right guy, and just completely like on top of his world, you know, is, is, uh, you know, buying his own shit. Uh, I think like that was pretty amazing to me how it's able to go back and forth and back and forth dependent on, I, I think what the mood is, I think three dimensional is the word that makes the most sense for me. It felt like a re watching a real person. We watched so many years, but I often think when people inhabit characters, especially real people, they latch on to certain characteristics or traits that they are able to like model after that's what I get stuck in with all these biopics is it feels like you're watching like a snapshot, like one single photo of this person. And in this movie, Killian Murphy feels like a real actualized human being with the range of emotions that he's able to portray. Something I think is so interesting. It's all internal for Murphy in this movie. Like he he's very wavering. There's the point where Benny Safdie is like, I don't know what this guy actually thinks during the deposition. He was like, we I don't trust his hands. I don't know where his hands will be one minute to the next. But Murphy, his performance, his like walk is always the same. His look is always pretty much the same. And he never actually breaks down. The closest you get to it is you see him like shivering in a bed at university in the very beginning. And then the final shot of him, like, closing his eyes, right? Other than that, he never cries. He never, like, has a big – well, I guess a little bit when Gene Tatlock dies. But mm -hmm. nothing with the bomb. Nothing mm -hmm. with the, the implications of what he's doing with the bomb and with the weapon and atomics, right? It's all it, – it's just all up in his mind. And you can actually see the gears turning behind his forehead, essentially, the entire movie. It's basically exactly how Oppenheimer was described. Like, I think you nailed it, Jed. I think – or Zevin, I forget who said it, but it was wavering between utmost like confidence, brashness, cockiness, womanizer. And then the other half was like completely unassured to have no idea what they are. Listless, paranoid. He, he plays it perfectly. I mean, he carries the movie. It's major significance. I don't know the story. You, you all the three of you might know it better, but I know this is Nolan's first movie departuring from a studio. I forget he had ties previously to a different studio. This is his first movie since leaving that studio. 
he picks up a story not a lot of people would probably approve, like get get through and get made in Hollywood. And then he picks a leading man who's never been a leading man in a movie before. And uh, he, he crushed it. Murphy was, was was just the man built for this role. It was a performance of a lifetime. It truly was. He he completely owned that movie. It was it was really impressive to watch for three hours. That's something I haven't really considered, actually, is the fact that he's never really been a leading man uh, in a movie of this scale. Because I watched Peaky Blinders. I don't know if you guys watched Peaky Blinders. But that – like, after watching that, I, I was – like, oh, yeah, this casting makes so much sense. Like, this is a guy that can handle the dramatic weight of a movie like this. Right. That was never like that was never like a concern that he wasn't, you know, fit. But it, it does. I think it really escaped me just until now that this really is like his biggest ever role, his biggest ever performance by like a long way, especially in, you know, in a film. Um, let's talk about a couple other performances. I think Killian is amazing, um, but I would love to know what you guys thought about uh, the supporting cast and, and who was your favorite out of the lot chip who was your, who would be your pick? If you're like, all right, you get to pick the winner for the Oscar for best supporting actor or actress uh, at the Oscars this year. And it has to come from Oppenheimer. Who are you choosing? Okay. The obvious answer is Robert Downey Jr. But I almost don't want to talk about it because it's too obvious. I'd rather talk about like communist Florence Pugh or Benny Safdie or like Matt Damon who I think probably aren't going to win awards, but I think are my favorite performances of the movie outside of Murphy. A lot of people will poke at Nolan and woman, and that is a completely fair criticism. I think that Florence Pugh is doing a really, really good job. And I think she actually has a lot of material to work with. You know, Um, it's a little bit cheesy. Jed, I know wants to talk about the sex scenes. I think those are actually really, really well done. I think you learned so much about Pugh's character and Murphy's character it's interesting that you see those scenes in the uh, subjective, in the the colored, not the black and white. So those are shot in color. So those are kind of Oppenheimer's POV, his even like his recollections uh, kind of intersecting of those moments. Right. So I think that makes sense. And I think it's just really like tragic because she kind of falls under Oppenheimer's spell. So it like speaks to his power and speaks to her. I don't know. She is she is wooed by him, right? Because she is seeking something greater and she knows he has that something greater. And I think she does an amazing job with that. Um, but Matt Damon is just like he rolls out of bed and does this shit. You know, like this is the easiest thing in the world for him to do is like the hardest thing he had to do for this movie was grow the mustache. Everything else was so easy for him. <laughs> He's so good. He's like David is just capital movie star. I just love him age, everything he does. Middle aged Damon is like is quickly becoming my favorite period of his career. Like I, I love him. I mean, I've been on record Ford v Ferrari is like one of my, my all time dad films. Uh, and I watched, rewatched that movie a ton. He's amazing in that. I mean, doing the cameo in, you know, in no sudden move, I think just shows you exactly like where he's at, uh, as a movie star and like what he wants to do. And he is, I agree. He's amazing. I think he is, uh, in many ways, like the movie doesn't, work without him i think you could say that about like five or six people which is amazing but i i think he is a real like uh pivot point in this in this film and i don't know who else could have done it quite as well as him it's such a luxury right to be able to have matt damon be your like almost like comedic you know sidekick throughout the entire movie you know like that is he is a movie star. Like he should be Oppenheimer. Like what the fuck? This man is just kind of like the silly, you know, 
soon to be general. Like it, it's insane embarrassment of riches to have him be doing that stuff. And like, it makes lines like this is the most important fucking thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. Like that should fall absolutely flat. That should be the dumbest line ever, but it's, it's great in its own kind of somewhat silly Christopher Nolan way. You know, it sounds kind of goofy in the trailer, but when you throw the F bomb in there, it totally plays. Agreed. It, it, it makes it land a lot harder. Agreed. Sneaky R-rated movie. Yeah, I, they put Killian in. Uh, it's like when you give a point guard or high usage NBA player a new role, and they just put him put really solid vets around him. They're like, oh, yeah. go get some buckets, but we're gonna put up spot up shooters around you, and we're gonna make your life as easy as possible. And they probably put a 50% three point shooter out there with Robert Downey Jr. Because Robert Downey Jr. is just Again, the last hour of the movie is a surprise if you haven't seen the movie, anyone that hasn't seen it yet. But it's just Killian 1v1, Robert Downey Jr., and it's just so good. They're such good foils off of each other, and it's just so perfectly casted. And shout out Kenneth Branagh with another accent. You gotta love <laughs> when we can get Kenneth Branagh another accent. And we got him as Niels Bohr, and that was just incredible. incredible. Like, he was just everyone's favorite scientist, and it's Kenneth Branagh, and it's everyone's favorite actor. He's your actor's favorite actor. So that was, like, perfectly casted as well. I'm not sure if there's a guy we've gone back and forth more on with Branagh on this podcast, because we're like, I, this guy's so <laughs> fun, but also what the I think fuck we're does pretty, he do half pretty, the time? Pretty firmly we like him as an actor. Yes. Not as a director. This podcast oh, yeah. legendary here, legendary stage actor. Um, yeah, legendary stage actor. He's a great actor. He's made some good movies. That's what's so funny. Like even as a director. However, on this podcast here today, this is going to be the most pro Brana podcast <laughs> ever because there's another movie that he's in of Nolan's where I'm just like, is this oh. man the greatest actor of all time? <laughs> <laughs> um, I gotta give a shout out, Evan. Have you gone yet? I can't. Uh, not yet. Um, go ahead. Can I toss out my guy Josh Hartnett? Yes, yes. Like through the first hour of this movie, I was like, wait, is Josh Hartnett about to win the Oscar? This is incredible. I thought, first of all, he looks inc- amazing. He looks yes. amazing in this in the period period garb. And I actually think he is so like the warmth that he has um, and how immediately accepting he is of Oppenheimer after, especially after those first 25 minutes where we've seen how prickly uh, Oppenheimer can be. Um it's such an inviting thing. He's so good at that. And I feel like he is actually a crucial piece of the movie because he's kind of the representation of that just sort of like accepting, oh, we all got to do our part type attitude that allows these people who may or may not have some type of moral standing to just like completely abandon that in favor of progress or whatever you want to call it or, or patriotism or whatever. He's just sort of like seemingly this nice guy who's like, you know what? You just got to give up your ideals and then you can get a job. And at that point in the movie, you you get why he is somebody who can deliver that. I don't know. I Every time he showed up, I was like, thank you. Bring back more heart in it. Yeah. Two, two quick points on that. I'm so sorry, Jed. Number one, I love that he's been like typecast as Superman forever and has never done it. And then Nolan just made him dress like Clark Kent the entire movie. Like, yeah. <laughs> the glasses and suits and everything. A plus. No notes. Um, and then I was going to, if you've got, you've, Jed's got more acting stuff to talk about, I think, because I was going to say, like, I can't believe just how honestly, almost overtly left-leaning and political this movie got. Um, yes. And we we don't have to dive, like, all the way into it because we have so much more to talk about. But it's, like, not even that subtle, in my opinion, how 
kind of grossed out Nolan is by a lot of the uh, U.S. government, you know, policies of this time. Yes. Uh, I do have some actors to talk about, though, before we dive into the politics of the film. Please, please do. Um, so you mentioned Benny Safdie. Absolutely incredible. Uh, but he's not my he's not my pick. Uh, I think, uh, you know, Dane DeHaan very very good i thought jason clark was really good and alden onreich uh, were like my two favorites from the third act but if i'm given my mvp it's to one mr david crumholtz yes uh here eat something i thought was like the single most like 10 that was the most tender relationship of the entire movie and like the way that they that they use him to kind of articulate the stakes and i think the uh the internal struggle that Oppenheimer or the internal motivation that Oppenheimer must have been having, you know, when like working for the government, developing a weapon against the Nazis. Right. Like, I think it's really easy to like, this movie doesn't really touch a ton on, on like his Jewishness, but that scene with Krumholtz on the train, you know, early on when they're traveling through Europe together, that is kind of like, it sticks with you. And I think every time Krumholtz is on screen, he has this emotional impact. It's they it really like give him the floor and and mm-hmm. let him do his thing. And there's something so subtle about the way that he acts in this movie. And I just found it incredibly, incredibly charming and uh, sincere. And I, for me, like that is the person that I have continued to think about their performance. Um, you know, since the end of this movie. And maybe it's because you know, obviously Downey's getting a lot of press. Killian Murphy's getting a lot of press. I even think there, I mean, there's a huge Josh Hartnett crew out there that is like, yes, like we're, we're so back, you know, between this and, uh, you know, Operation Fortune Rouge de Guerre, the, uh, the Guy Ritchie movie this year, he's having a good year. Um, you know, a uh, loyal listener, Caden, he asked us to talk about Hartnett. He was, he was, uh, really fired up about the Hartnett performance, but David Crumholtz was the one for me that like stood above the rest as, mm-hmm. as feeling, uh, so necessary and so sincere and and the kind of character that i don't necessarily feel like nolan it's like, kind of the michael kane character i guess yes, i guess you're kind it's of Alfred. right I, it, it's kind of the 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 version of michael kane yes. just being like you really want to do that again yeah but you really it, do that again? i guess i guess but i guess it, it maybe it hits different because michael kane's always older older than the people he's like giving the advice to you're right it, com- yeah. it comes off so much less like uh you know like a an uncle you know it's and, so warm yeah, yeah. exactly yes exactly. It, and even michael kane sometimes is like a little bit more preachy like it's yeah, a little yes. bit more like let me pass along my wisdom Crumholtz is just like i love you man but i i i, I can't come here like yes. this, like you know, he's just like you're about to ruin the world, but I also still want to give you the benefit of the doubt, you know. Like he, it's so warm, especially in a movie that at times can be a bit distancing and cold because that's who Oppenheimer is. Like he kind of is constantly dis- distancing himself from everyone, you know, in in order to live in his his mind of neurons or whatever. Should we talk about Emily Blunt real quick before we wrap up and get into the ranking? She's probably gonna win the Oscar. She had a great crazy moment for at the end saying of the movie. that. I don't think you're crazy. I think for she's that. fantastic in this movie, and I I, know, I, I don't understand yeah. a lot of the like a lot of people are like, oh, her character's underwritten, and like that was the one thing that, and like I I was pretty good about not getting much spoiled for me, um, but I did see some Emily Blunt, not quite slander, but it's like, 
oh, I wish they would have given one of our great actresses more to do. And I, I kind of walked away being like, I felt like they made her, they didn't make her role like incredibly significant. They didn't overwrite her by any means, but I feel like they give her like key moments and then they kind of give her her own moment, like at the end, like in that kangaroo yes. court situation. Uh, I, I thought she was great. And I, I, and I want to stand here and say that the, uh, the hate is completely uh, untoward. Yeah, she crushed. She crushed it at the end of the movie. Like, it's one of the more. It's one of the moments that really stands out when you leave the theater. Um, and their relationship towards the end of the movie, which has been through so much, at basically Oppenheimer's, like Oppenheimer's to blame for a lot of the issues in that relationship. And she was able to carry herself with dignity and respect, and also was able to really set clear. Kind of, I, I don't know, like, I wouldn't say clear, like, boundaries or guidelines, but she made it very clear that she was going to earn respect from Oppenheimer, and it's very clear that you get that at the end of the movie, which I think she has a very endearing moment there. You want to talk, did. like, NBA metaphors. She, like, Blake Griffin dunks all over Jason Clark at the end she of that does. movie, and he has it coming. <laughs> yes. So it, it might be the most, like, hell yeah satisfying moment yes. of the movie, you know, because the bomb doesn't make you feel like hell yeah, like, oh, no. they did it. Oh fuck, they did it! You know yeah. that that moment is pure, like fist bumping. Let's go. It is, and, and she, you know, you're re- definitely right in saying she's not overwritten, Jed. Um, she she probably is a little bit. Uh, her character is probably a little bit undercooked. She kind of has to be a little bit of a plot. You know, the, the first half of the movie, there's a lot of bottles, you know, rolling around, and she drops the flask in the in the conference room, and you're kind of like, okay, this is maybe like I, I understand what's happening here. But I do actually think that her character does have one of the sadder arcs of the movie, and she plays it really well because that I think that first scene when they're riding horses together is really good before they get together. I um, mean, they're kind of hiking around, and she is talking about how she was made housewife. And she was also a scientist, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Biologist. And, biologist. And she was talking about that, and it's it's a sad to hear her talk about it. She's not, like, self-pitying, but she's just matter-of-fact about it. Um, and then it, the rest of the movie kind of shows that it just happens to her again. You know, it, it almost seems like it's like, okay, she's connecting with this guy who's also, like, his mind is bigger than can, you know, than he can even contain or whatever. Maybe he'll understand, like, wanting her. No, like, he also just wants somebody who's going to stay home and take care of the kids. Um, and that's probably why she doesn't get, you know, as much to do in the middle part of the movie, unfortunately. But um, I do think her character has has an arc. And I do. I mean, both of those final scenes that she's in, both in the hearing as well as in the um, during the award ceremony at the end in the old age makeup, I thought she was really good and like easily, I think, should contend for best supporting. Kitty and I. Walk through fire together. That was like my one. Like that's just like my one of my favorite line readings of the whole. Like the the way yeah. he pauses after that. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Uh, can can I toss out one more person before we jump into? Of course. Moving on. Of course. Possibly the best scene of the movie, or at least the most intense scene of the movie. Um, Casey Affleck, I thought was if not the best performance or performer in the movie, maybe terrifying. the best utilized performer He's... in the movie. Um, the way they cut that scene to cutting back and forth with Damon talking about him in such a terrified manner. And then Casey Affleck using his like, you know, 12 year old boy who's also smoked 800 cigarettes voice. It like it was so good. 
I, I my like literal stomach dropped when I realized who it was. Cause yeah. You hear the voice and you're like, who is that? Why do I know that? And then they start to pan. You're like, oh, my fucking God. It's Casey mm. Affleck. Um, and I don't think I've ever felt like grosser about him. Like, like then like watching this movie, he just feels right. so, so vile. I, yeah. And and I agree, like best used because that's what his character's supposed to be. But um, man, it was it was very affecting uh, the way that that happened and that that whole reveal um, yeah. was was spectacular. I also had no idea he was in this movie. Did any of you guys know oh. that he was in this movie? No, I, I think, think I'd heard, but Gary I Oldman. You him okay. and him and Gary Oldman were the two Oldman that were too. Wow, electric scene. Oh my <laughs> yeah. god, we gotta do. We gotta get move that. On, get but... that. Get that crybaby. Don't let that crybaby back in here. Oh, him waving the freaking handkerchief. His fucking eyes. Like, what was going on with his? Did Truman's eyes actually look this big on his face behind his I, glasses? Like, as someone that has a grandmother who wears glasses that make her eyes look like fifty times <laughs> larger than they are, I can confirm that the that spectacles of the era. Um, yeah really must have like so done funny. the eye enlargement thing it's like the bifocals over the entire lens it is yeah, exactly. it is so it is so unsettling when you see a person who is like you've only ever seen them in glasses that make their eyes really big and then they take them off and they've got these like tiny little like beady eyes and you're like oh whoa, hey jesus um all right oppenheimer i think we really liked it um mm-hmm. we'll see how much we liked it in relation to the rest of nolan's films as we get into the ranking for those of you that this is your first flicking and screaming pod, and I hope I hope we have some new listeners listening. Welcome. Uh, we are going to be ranking these by consensus. We don't each have our own lists that we are going to be reading off here and, and revealing. We are going to work together to create the definitive ranking of Christopher Nolan's films. There are 12 films here. I'm going to read them off now uh, in the German manner. Uh, following Memento, Insomnia, Batman Begins, The Prestige, Dark Knight, Inception, The Dark Knight Rises, Interstellar, Dunkirk, Tenet, and Oppenheimer. Number 12 is blank on my list, gentlemen. Would anybody like to nominate a number 12? I will nominate following. Here, here. The motion carries. Motion characters. It's not a good movie. Like, it's so funny. Like, when we did PTA and, you know, Heart 8, I think we actually did put last, but we are like, there's so much here. Following, there is an interesting twist at the end that actually does kind of work, but, like, this movie is not good. It's pretty boring. Yeah, it's pretty it's boring. Kind of the movie acting that makes you is wonder bad. how he got another movie. Yeah. It, it's notable more for, like, how much is has clearly been in his head. Like, the con man in this movie is named Cobb. You know, like there are stuff like there's stuff like that that circles back around where you can tell he's had this stuff swirling around in his brain, but he didn't have very much money. It does not look very good, and it's pretty boring. Fair. Uh, does anyone have a number eleven? That's good. I, I, I'll nominate Batman Begins. Yeah, I think it's this or Insomnia for me. I have Batman Begins at number 11, so I would push that forward. Interesting. I thought that we were going to get a lot of people putting Dark Knight Rises here. No way. No, 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 no. No, Dark Knight Rises. 
is the the Tom Hardy performance alone oh, oh. elevates it into I almost co- I almost memes alone. I almost cold opened the pod being like you merely built the bomb. I was on it. Um for you. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I I don't think Batman Begins is I just don't think it looks good. I think the performance ooh. are good. I I just yeah, I don't I don't know. It feels so comic booky. Like it feels more like a real comic book. It's not as slick. He hasn't got as much money into his films. Like Gotham just looks low budget. I don't know. I it's I, funny because there's a lot of people that ride. They're like Gotham should have looked like this. Yeah, I kind of like that part of it actually. I will say the first half of the movie is where I'm like origin story i so i like this movie i will say at number 11 is where i think the good movies start like i think this is a quite a good movie um I, i've never been that big into razal ghoul so like that whole section i'm really just trying to to get through it because i actually do kind of like the the cd gotham that they have in batman begins with the with the overhead um you know train system and stuff i kind of like or the suspended train system i, I don't know some of that is interesting but I don't know. Are we like? Is this number eleven for everyone? Yeah. I th- yeah. I had a number wow. ten. I had a number ten, so I'm okay. not like I'm not too bad. I had insomnia at eleven. Is that what you guys have at ten? It's what I have at ten. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good with that at ten. This is uh, you know, this is not going the way I thought it was gonna go. But I think we're gonna we're gonna have a lot of hard uh, hard arguments coming up we here. we will insomnia is better than i remember so i rewatched. i'll tell you guys what i rewatched. i, re- I rewatched every nolan except for the batmans because mm. i've and and following same I rewatch following um because i've just you? seen the batman so many times i was like what new am i gonna get out of the dark knight this time that i haven't mm-hmm. the previous 700 times um but insomnia was the one that i think rose the most on rewatch i really didn't care for it the first time but now i just I'm like hey this is just a great like middle brow detective movie that's like say in a really interesting environment, you know, and every good detective movie needs to put the protagonist through some shit. And it's like a good concept. He can't sleep because it's always daytime. That's yeah. all you need. Like it's, it's, it's so simple. And I think previously I thought it was too simple, but now I'm like, no, that's exactly what you need to like let Pacino do his thing where he's just mumbling every line in the third yes. act of the movie. And you're like, I can't hear what you're saying, man, but that's so accurate to what his character is going through. It, it's a great, Pacino performance. I and I say that seriously. A great Pacino performance in a detective movie. Like if it was anybody else making this, this movie is really good. And this, I watched it for the first time for this pod. I think if I watched it two or three more times over the next few years, I could see this like climbing into the top six or seven. Honestly, like this movie, I think is like criminally underrated. It's also just another thing where Nolan loves heat so much that he just say, hey, Pacino, remember <laughs> yeah. like five years ago when you were Vincent Hanna? Just, yes. Just do that again. Yeah. He's he's uh, even from L.A. The character's from L.A. He, he's a disgraced L.A. cop. It's like, could yeah. Vincent Hanna not have been a disgraced <laughs> L.A. cop in another four years after he... Exactly. Um, okay. Number yeah. nine. Is this where we slot Dark Knight Rises? I say yes. I've got Tenet here. Oh! oh. We've got Tenet here, and I love this movie. I watched this. I watched this movie the first time I saw it. I watched it immediately again. Like I watched it back to back. I loved it that much. You, so did you, However, did you Sean? What do you have at theater? eight, Sean? What do you, Sean? What do you have at eight? Dark Knight Rises. Okay, so for you, you have Tenet. What do you guys have at eight, uh, Mister Mister Chipman? Do you have Interstellar at eight? Does anyone have Interstellar at eight? Absolutely. No, no, that's that's up. That's way up there. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I have, uh, I have Tenet at two. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. It's it's a word and a gesture. You got a cold war. It's cold as I, I have Tenet I, up a few spots. Like, I would be disappointed if it was here. Yeah, I don't think it's Can number nine. Compromise to TDKR here? Yeah, are you cool with that? You have a number eight, right, Sean? Are you cool with Dark Knight Rises? Yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I'm cool with that. I, I, I just, again, any movie where I've seen it six times and I still don't fully understand how it's working. Again, I love that. I love to be challenged. But at the end of the day, I love my comfort food. And, and uh, Christian Bale escaping out of uh, Ra's al Ghul's prison uh, to the chance of the prisoners is just iconic. In the opening scene of The Dark Knight Rises yeah. where they steal the plane, it just – it. I mean, Not, just action movie stuff. It's just so good. It's the no, so mu- the no music, mask? the no music <laughs> fight scene uh, in the sewers, just absolutely, just insane. just grunting. It's like a tennis match, mm-hmm. just insane. <laughs> the sounds of the punches in that movie. <laughs> he gets his like, yeah. ass kicked. Yeah. Ass he kicked. makes Bane. He makes Bane just so powerful, and this is following up Heath Ledger's Joker. It, it's it's just absolutely ridiculous and campy and hilarious and Tom Hardy crushes it so hard. You don't even see his face and it's one of the most believable performances in all Nolan movies. So that's I think I just I value that so high. I love Anne Hathaway in that yeah. movie too. Yeah, like every time it. I rewatch, I'm like, damn, she is really good in this movie and I kind of just want more of the movie to just be about her. I kind of like as I get older, I just realize Anne Hathaway can do no wrong in my eyes. Uh, I just really just enjoy her uh, as as an actress yep. and, and a human being. Um, if you it, haven't it, seen the videos of her dancing at Sundance this year at like one of the after parties, yeah, it's very important to me. So please feel free to go. She's having a good time. Um, uh, the Dark Knight Rises, the middle part of this movie. Um, drags. Like, it's I don't know. Movie. I couldn't even really tell you what's going on through a good chunk of Gotham first being like taken hostage and Bruce in the. Do, pit do you stuff. feel in control? Yeah. Heinz like, Ford and Big Ben. I think <laughs> Big Ben's the second biggest criminal in the, yeah, in the Dark Knight Rises. Seriously. Um, <laughs> he's giving Bane a run for his money. <laughs> maybe it's just him under the mask. They have uh, some yeah, maybe you, you couldn't prove it. If you uh, haven't already, like Google Tom Hardy's uh, workout routine to be Bane because it's actually way simpler than you'd think it was. He literally just did trap bar like shrugs for like six months. He's like, yeah, I really didn't work out anything else. He goes, because I was going to be wearing a vest. He goes, so I just knew I needed to like make my traps look big to be big. He goes, my arms yeah. were already kind of like defined. But if you go back and like actually pay attention – He's like he's not even that like buff, quote unquote. Like he's in better shape than than I'll ever be than any. So like I'm not saying this as a judgment, but like his just shoulders are so disproportionately large mm-hmm. to the re- to the rest of his body, and he's just they're like, so like chunkily segmented. He's like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, but it's with yeah. muscles instead of fat. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, he looks like that in in the movie Warrior as well. Like yeah. it, it, it's just the way his muscles like build out it is like that. It's it's wild, but um. At one point in this movie, we don't even need to get into it. I, I'm all for pl- like plot holes in comic book movies, but like Gordon having a speech in his pocket that says like Harvey Dent was bad, didn't you know? As he's in the sewers, and then Bane, like I don't think I gathered until this most recent one that he's like search him, and they just pull out the paper that's like 
<laughs> Commissioner Gordon says Harvey Dent was actually bad. And, and he just, <laughs> I'm like, wait, how did he get this paper? Well, I the love fun- the idea of Bane reading is so funny to me. I don't know why, but like Bane with a book is. <laughs> Can't he's like but, handing it over to his assistant yeah. like by the way this. he had but, to get but, he had to get through prison of course he was reading he's well, like, yeah, i guess that's true he's well, a learned man he's like Oppenheimer. <laughs> we'll get it, we'll get into this but like the dark knight also has some like absolute ridiculous plot points as well so we, oh yeah i mean oh I, it's I, a nolan it's a nolan movie yeah, yeah. <laughs> you gotta accept it it's like he's like we're gonna take through. the we're gonna take the the we're gonna find this guy's identity by taking the brick that he shot a bullet into. We're gonna reconstruct the bullet. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's just With the fingerprint. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. that That's was real. Sick. The technology that was is real. sick. <laughs> uh, okay, we've got following at twelve. Batman Begins, Insomnia, and The Dark Knight Rises. What's number eight for us? This is where Probably personally, no, I would have Interstellar here. Can I? Nope. Nope. No, sir. That's a hard. That's a hard no. Can I pop no. out Memento? Oh, actually, yes, you're right. Uh, yeah, that's what yes, she... but that's this is where like every movie is gonna feel too low at this. I point. know it, 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 this is because how it is ranking his movies. Memento it's is hard to so Memento. incredibly constructed. I don't yeah. even know how you so make good. and conceive of a movie like that. Me and then genius, just and he did genius. It. Yeah, it's so genius. It's showing the ending of the movie, and then that's not truly the ending. It's yeah. it's oh, and it's like it's how memory works, right? Um, yeah. He plays with that on Inception too, where it's like, do you remember how the dream started? It always starts in the middle. It's like how memory. It, it the this Memento, I think, is his first like, it's his first movie, but it's you get the taste of concepts and how Nolan really leans into a concept and that builds out the whole arc of the story. And Guy Pierce, just what a performance in in that movie because it's literally just him because it feels so low budget. We don't even know what city they're in. Um, since there's like four film. or five sets they're like four or five sets it's so funny like you're watching inception where it's like we're in paris we're in japan and then you watch memento and it's like we're just in the some streets of some random city right. it's we're it's at a so good cafe <laughs> yeah how do you compare that movie to like oppenheimer like it's just saying the art I mean, right that it, it, it's tough man this is where the divide happens right like are you a sucker for the scale and and like the just the the almost like monstrousness of the inceptions tenets and all that or are you more of a fan of of just like the lean mean storytelling of memento and maybe another movie that we'll talk about soon like the prestige like so what what where are we at where are I we think, about memento here I, interstellar can't can't happen. yeah I, I'm, no, I'm okay with memento. i'm fair with yeah, memento here. i'm fine with memento yeah it it okay. it's so interesting interstellar's like, at seven then right no, no. The th- okay, I want to say one more yeah. thing about Minto. It's cool that there is some like, so you know the scenes in Oppenheimer that are yeah. a little bit more surreal, where Killian Murphy's in the fighter jet, or Emily Blunt is watching Florence Pugh and Killian Murphy have sex in the conference room. What a mm-hmm. ridiculous scene, by the way. That is Great. the craziest thing ever. An amazing scene. Um, amazing. But you get a little glimpse of that multiple times in Memento. There's a shot like a like a two frame shot of Killian Murphy or not Killian Murphy of uh, there's a, like a two frame shot of Guy Pierce in the nursing home or in the, in, in the home. It like, it flashes so briefly when a doctor walks in front of, Oh, what's his name? Jenks, something Richard Jenks. Um, yeah, Evan, help don't me forget out. Sammy, Sammy Jenkins, Sammy Jenkins. Yes. Sammy Jenkins. There's a brief shot where it's, it's, it's the one on his, on his hand, on his hand. Exactly. 
Um, instead of Sammy Jenkins, it's Guy Pierce sitting there in the home. And it reminded me post-Oppenheimer thinking about the shots of Killian Murphy, like in the fighter jet where it's like, Oh, Nolan's actually, I don't know, breaking out of his very realistic and very formal kind of structure. And he's making something that is, you know, it's just a very cinematic choice that I thought was cool to see, you know, 23 years later. Very true. I had Memento at six. I had it at six. Like that's how highly I I thought of this movie. And Evan knows I I texted him because I just watched it three days ago. I'd never seen it. I texted Evan. I was yeah, like, wow. that's awesome. He was like, wow. Was, that's uh, awesome. It was amazing. I, you know, there are, especially people I think a little bit older than us who, who were, you know, older watching this movie or maybe in their teens watching this movie. I know a lot of people who have Memento in like top two or three Nolan's yeah. just because it's so central to like his, everything that he does, you know, like. I think some people would even say a movie like Inception is taking what he does so well and actually blowing it up past the point that it even needs to go, that it actually is almost more effective when it's ground level versus, you know, um, in the stratosphere. Memento is such a cool thing, too, for independence, (laughs) for independent movies where it's like, I mean, that movie could not get a distributor for years and then it just went bananas at the box office and like studios came back crawling to Nolan after that and it changed forever. Yep. And what's in like the amazing the way that movie shoots with the Polaroid, you get that tenant where he plays it in reverse and the temporal piercer. It's just everything comes together. So it's I was blown away with how good Memento was. I, I've heard it people referencing it, body like tattoos on your body, uh, but just the sequencing of the film and the way it was written is just brilliant. All right. What do we got? It's seven. I know Sean's gonna push for tenant. I love that movie, but I, I just think I could be I okay. I think I could be okay with Tenet at seven. Could but I toss out the Prestige? Absolutely not. You can. I don't okay. think you can. I have the, I, I have okay. the Prestige at seven. I have the okay. Prestige at seven in this uh, in these rankings. I also do. I, I for me, Prestige is like firmly top five. Okay, I agree. We'll have to talk about that. There, okay, there's I mean, some Prestige we're, Bros. We're, we're, we're talking about it now. I mean, we got, you know, Aaron Rodgers. No, but I mean prestige, like. Bro. We got never mind. Let's put it at seven. If Aaron Rodgers loves the prestige, we'll put it at seven. Um, (laughs) You got to you got to take Hiawaska and watch it. It changes everything. Um, That's but tenet is. I'm. I feel like Chip, you're you're kind of against both of the movies that have been put out. So what are you putting out? I'm gonna put Inception here, and you guys are gonna kill me. Uh, No, 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 no. It's not as far off as. I don't think it's that far off, but I don't. I think putting it. So we've, we're through the first third. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think I very much agree that the what we landed on in the first third in whatever order you want to put it in is what the first third is. I, I, where I'm going to struggle now is I think there are should – we, should we go down this exercise of like what's – what is top tier and what's second tier? You know, what, what are the next four and what are the top four? That and then sounds we can, confusing. That sounds like yeah, it's hard. hard. You, you wait, know, we start, I, we let's start what? voting people We're making off tears? the island right now. We're making tears here. But you know what I, you know what I love? I love, I love to, uh, to, you know, break things up uh, in order to create a little bit of chaos. I, I think we already know where the division. Like you have Interst- Interstellar in this one. I think a couple of us are at least saying it's at the very top division. Sean has Tenet down here. We know Chip thinks of it as being in the very top. Of it. So I think we're already a little bit mixed there. I feel like we got to. Okay. It I think it's, 
It's probably going to be Tenet here in this spot, which I don't love, but I think I'm it gonna, might be. The only other thing I might throw out is like a Dunkirk, which I love. Shut the fuck Actually, shut the fuck up. You no, want to for the sake of for the sake of compromise. That's, I'm not saying I want to. For the sake of compromise, that's his best fucking movie. <laughs> At seven? Are you kidding? That's for get sure. The, that, every, it's Tarantino came this. out. Tarantino came out and said, I love Dunkirk. And then every single person who loves no, cinema no, no, is like, no, no, Dunkirk, no, no, Dunkirk, no, no, Dunkirk. No, no, no. Dunkirk oh, is a great movie. Dunkirk is a great, I rewatched it. I loved it. I loved great, that movie. It's the greatest it war tight, movie of all time. A tight 155. I loved its length, right? Love that. But I'm sorry, when I'm watching a Nolan movie, I want to connect to the characters and I want to connect to these massive ideas. I love the heart. The I love the story of Britain. Of Britain. I love it. Yeah, if I was a Brit, maybe I'd feel a little bit more. You're connected to like, the country of Great Britain. Those those soldiers good, good story. are, are good an animus for the struggle of a country. It, it's a great I'm a story. Dunkirk it's a great defender. Movie. Okay, listen. I love when I my last movie. Nolan ranking that I did three years ago, I had Dunkirk number one. It did fall from number one on my most recent rewatch. I love that movie. I was just throwing it out there. So we could have a civil discourse. Yes. But no. Civil discourse. You know how Evan and I feel about that movie. You were not. There's nothing civil movie. about that discourse. You it's wanted to throw movie. us into chaos. You were trying to pull a temporal pincer movement so that Tenet didn't end up at seven, which now firmly Tenet at seven, just because I must spite you. Unfortunately, Chip, we hate to do it. Tenet, Tenet at seven. Let's talk about how good Tenet is, though. Tenet's uh, so good. Great movie. I think, Great. Sean, what you talked about, of, like, I, I've watched it like five times and don't throat. fully understand it. I think the greatest moment, movie watching moment of the pandemic for me was watching it with my sister Paris, watching Tenet for the first time. And she literally presses pause about an hour and she goes, am I the only one who doesn't know what the fuck is going on right now? <laughs> and it's like you're sitting, with my, you're sitting with my whole family and I was just like, just, you know, don't think, just feel. Yeah, no, it's, it. no, that's the whole. The, she has the scientist. The yeah. I forget the unnamed scientist. She goes, "Don't try and don't try and understand it. Just yeah. just let it hit you." And that movie, if you let it hit you, it's it's like James Bond on an acid trip. It is such a sick, sexy, sleek movie. It's incredible, but it makes no sense. So Pat, like, Pat, I have Pat's to take Hive, it a little bit there. Pattinson Hive stand up. I mean, unbelievable, incredible, and, incredible performance from Pattinson and. And he and and Chip was saying it again. Andres Sader, uh, Andres Sader is just one of the most outrageous bad character, bad guys awesome. in a movie that you could have. It is so ten out of ten turned up, and it's just it's incredible. The it, craziest thing is they they filmed him speaking Russian in reverse, like in like real time. He le- he literally like they they got him to learn how to say the phrases in reverse. Like, which is the nuts, most nuts thing I've ever heard of. Kenneth Branagh cares about the medium, Jed. Yes. He cares about the craft. Yes. He cares about the craft. He does. It, he does. It, care like, the, Sator being this evil mastermind who literally wants to end the world it is I the most evil her. man in the world, beats no his wife, like, from the most macro aggressions to the, or micro to the most macro. He wants to do it all. But ultimately, he's a sucker for having, like, a sweet moment with his wife right before the end of the world. You know, like, that's the most Christopher Nolan thing ever. He's such a wife guy. He's, like, even the most evil man in the world. He's a just dead wife a nice guy. quiet moment with the missus, you know? <laughs> dead uh, wife. What's quieter, what's quieter than death? You know, just a dead wife. Who doesn't love the a dead wife? Yeah. That, 
that's literally what Al Pacino's character says at the end of Insomnia. This man is like, I just wanted to fucking nap. Okay. I so it's really fun to watch Tenet as an exercise in like what no one thinks about Americans because so he doesn't write this one with Jonathan. Jonathan was raised in America. Chris was raised in in overseas, right? So when Chris is writing the the John David Washington protagonist character, he's like, um, this guy likes Diet Coke and he wears Brooks Brothers suits. And also Travis Scott is playing during the soundtrack and in, during the credits. Yeah. No one has such a weird understanding of American culture when he doesn't have like an American in the writer's room with him. It is pretty funny. It is pretty funny. Our pad um, is so good in that movie, man. So oh, good. Wow. I, I so actually, good. I, I really like John David Washington in, in that movie. Too. Oh, yeah. And I think he's, he's awesome. kind of had a bit of a up and down go. But when I think of like, obviously, I think we all saw the preview for the creator. Um, I, I'm really excited for that. Like Tenet makes his performance. Tenet makes me really excited for that movie. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> The, on the, the most recent rewatch, John David Washington is the one who who stood out the most to me. I was like, I remember charisma. really liking it yeah. the first time, but like he's so quiet. Hot I don't know. Scary. The way he plays it is so interesting. Like he's almost making much more specific choices than even like Leo in Inception or something who are playing a more traditional like movie star. Um, it's so bizarre how he chooses to play. Like he doesn't look people in their eye. Like, I don't know. It's a really cool performance. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't think like a reveal has been more satisfying, uh, than tenant than at the end when you're like, Oh my God, it's one big loop. Like this is amazing. Um, but for me, it's just the beginning. Yeah. Oh, so good. It's I love it. Of, it's the end of a beautiful friendship. Beautiful uh, friendship. Yeah. Uh, God, no right. one loves no one loves some bros. He loves yeah, he, he loves uh, I, male, male. I got the prestige next at six. I don't know how we moved past that's, six. That's what I would have as well. Can can we get it to five? I mean, just for my sake. I have. Right, I so would John also Kirk like it in the six. top five. Jed, I have it what? at four, personally. So Jed wants to put Interstellar here. A hundred percent. Yeah. 100%. And Chip wants no. to put Inception here. Yes. No. I could put Inception. No, 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 no. I could put Inception. No here. way. Oh my, guys, Inception I is could, capital I blockbuster have, with a B. Inception yeah. is one of the coolest movies. I have Come Inception at five. It's, so it's certainly, it's certainly this. cool. It's certainly it's cool. cool. Yeah, it's amazing. This is. Like, I rewatched it. It's my one one. I have Inception as his best movie. Oh, mm, we're gonna we're gonna not be able to get there for sure. But uh, but we can entertain it at six. Um. <laughs> Wait, so is it, is it is it popular? Wait, so for like film dudes, everyone that's like into film, is it popular to shit on Inception? Is no, no, it's, like not a, a, it's not a shit thing. It's more of like a it's appreciating a different side of Nolan. I think Inception is his most film broy movie. Like I, I I worked with this guy uh, at my previous job. Uh, his name was Matt Stein. Matt, if you're listening, I love you to death. Nolan's his favorite filmmaker, and Inception's his favorite film at all time. And he took like a semester of film school at USC, and then he dropped out. But what he would always say is just like, if I if I sat in a room in a basement for like six years, I would never and like thought as hard as I could about what to make a movie about. I'd never think about what to make inception. Like that is what I think people get latch onto is like the idea of the, the dream concept. Dream. Yeah. The concept. It's insane. The and, concept and, of inception is truly remarkable. And then Leonardo DiCaprio is just, I mean, come on. I, you just, it, it's, it's just and then my, Tom Hardy. It's my favorite Tom Hardy. Gordon Levert. I mean, 
it, that movie is incredible, and it's the CGI so... is incredible. The scene when when they're the the van is literally floating and hitting the water for an hour. I yeah. <laughs> this is the last movie I rewatched before this podcast because it's, it's awesome. my favorite. It's so good. It's so it's so good. But I think the thing is like, man. Like when we get up into this next like tier, and I I personally would have Interstellar here. Yeah, it's better would, than Interstellar. But I would have Inception at five. For me, like yeah. the the top four like stand they stand alone. Um, but Interstellar and Inception really like make up this you know that like that they're the top tier of the middle middle third. Well, both are better than the Prestige. No, absolutely not. <laughs> no, no, no. They no, sure no. are. I, they are. Like, I'm, Make I'm the sorry, art, it's uh, old-timey the... magicians. <laughs> I mean, it's a good movie. Like, the movie you just said exactly what it, you, you said exactly what the best part about it. It's old-timey magicians, but at the end of it, it's a, it's science fiction. Illusions. It's science fiction. It makes fiction, me think of, like, Arrested Development, a magician named Gob. It's like a, a magician never reveals his illusions. <laughs> <laughs> call we demand, we demand to be taken seriously. Um, and then Nikola Tesla, just that coming off the top rope, that was his first biopic, was Prestige, with the yeah, with the Tesla shout out, I, I, it was a really entertaining movie. Bale and Jackman are so 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 so. The twist is great. I the think it's, I awesome. think it's his best. I think it's his best twist in my in my mind. I think it's his it's his best twist. Memento in. was a gut punch. Wait, what? Wait, what is his best twist, Jed? Uh, that I mean, I think it's really two twists. But I think the twist that. It was a twin, like twin brothers living one life is how they've been able to pull it off because of all the groundwork that they lay of like the sacrifice behind a good trick, him being able to understand, you know, that the the old uh, Chinese magician was like walking, you know, with right. the bowl in between his legs like the it's whole the time. Commitment. Like, yeah, the commitment. Right. And that coupled with the sci fi element of like this dude literally was so like enthralled by his secret that he fucking figured out how to get himself cloned like when the hats like when he walks outside and you see all the other hats to me it is like it is one of the most like oh shit moments and i watched it with my wife and she didn't quite get it at first like she didn't understand like oh okay like this means that he's gonna like like get clones of himself like she didn't fully understand that every night this man is like legitimately committing suicide so that his clone can live on and perform the the trick again and i think for me it, it is uh what I love about it is it feels like such like a commentary on the cra- like on his own craft of like it. I literally kill myself to to create the illusions, to create like the spectacle illusions. that I put on for for you people like the yeah. these artists, like they legitimately kill themselves and yeah. you don't appreciate it. And for me, like it feels in many ways like like one of his more personal movies. And yeah, I, I mean, I the really shot of Hugh Jackman, like taking the bow underneath the stage with that's no one looking, so that's good. like, yeah, it's not so even good. subtext. It's just text. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then Christian yes. Bale's like, how did he like it? Did he like taking his bow? And yeah. Bale, Bale was phenomenal. In so, good. I, I, mm-hmm. it's oh, so good. I, I, so good. Jackman it's is so good. Jackman's it, incredible. I think it's I Jackman's best because it's doing, it, it, it takes all the, Jackman isms and it makes it part of the character right like he is he's the greatest showman like or he thinks yeah, he's the greatest showman he's, Wolverine. he's just um he's so over the top and that character it's perfect for that character even like when he's sabotaging Bale's um you know 
catching a bullet trick. He's so overselling it. You know, he's like, like, you know, it's like so overdone and overcooked and like kind of hacky, but that like his whole character is a hack. Like it's not a full on hack. He ends up committing, but um, he's a hack in, in why he wants to do things, right? Like he doesn't want to do it. It's not even his trick. It's Tesla's trick. So he's still a hack. Yeah, exactly. You, you were team male. I was rooting for male the whole movie. Right? Oh, we were sure. all rooting for okay, cool. absolutely. I, I feel like he's Jed still could be like a, a psychopath because he destroys. Are <laughs> you rooting for Jackman? Yeah, come on, Jed. You were definitely a Jackman guy. He was all about the friends you made along the way. Uh, no, I <laughs> just so jacked. His hair is so quaffed. Jackman just just looks fantastic. I was just a, I was a te- 06, If you guys want to know, I'm a. I was a. I was a. Uh, I was a Tesla guy the whole time. Uh, it was just yeah. like the minute oh, okay. Tesla shows up on screen, I'm like, let's figure it out. Let's figure well, it out together. Dude, Sean, because you're so right, though, there's is... one shot of Jackman with his shirt off. And you're like, wait, why does this magician look like this? <laughs> yeah, also so that. Well, because he's, he's like a count. He's like a duke or whatever. Um, but Jet yeah. just loved um, Tesla because Andy his Circus. best friend was Andy Circus. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> like, come on, that's my guy. I was like, come on. You're, he's got Andy Circus handling his his you know knockers at his door like yeah, he's, the whole, he's like he's got the rubber glove for the electric fence it's like i was just enthralled this hey, who doesn't like, thank you christopher nolan for letting me show my face okay now go answer the door <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right so we got inception at six right inception at six prestige five no way that's no what way. i think i Okay. I've got it. I've got it there. I, we might we might outvote you here, Sean. The oh, eyes. Man. What's what's the bear case on Inception? Uh, I just I connect with his other movies a little bit more. I think I, I think I'm Inception, not like Inception jumps the shark a little bit for me. Like the concept is amazing, but it just goes. It, it, gets it literally goes it, to the subconscious. He he goes deep. It's two and a half gets, hours. They go yeah, I know he gets lost. He gets lost in his own sauce a little bit. Like it to me, it feels like. You know, Nolan going full Marilyn Manson and like removing a rib so he can, you know, he can suck his own wang. Like this is like that. Like when I watch Inception, I'm like, wow, you really think you're good at making movies? You know, like that's he is. He's flexing. You got Leonardo DiCaprio to make a a dream chaser movie. It's insane. I I agree. I love it. Like I I think if we haven't said enough, I I basically think (laughs) like pretty like most of these movies are fucking awesome. Like I small margins. Yeah, it's small margins. I small margins. I mean, I just think the prestige is just like stands up more as like to me, like we're talking about this like this this line between art and spectacle like with Nolan, right? And I think that if we're looking at it, I tend to appreciate like the art side, which sometimes ha- like the spectacle bleeds in. But Inception feels like it's where spectacle takes over. It, it is like spectacle for the sake of spectacle at times where it's not spectacle to like serve the movie. If that makes sense. I think the human element of Leo lying to everybody to try and get back home. And he's just like, just a terrible guy. It's funny. They don't address that more <laughs> except, uh, uh, Elliot Page's character doing that. Um, I, whatever. I'll, I'll give up. I'll capitulate here. One of the best parts of the movie too. So good. I will not say a negative word about Inception. To me, this is like we're in masterpiece territory. Where, okay, but why? Why much, are you like making me stand up here and like? No, I mean, no, the prestige I'm not. I'm is saying, not better than the, the prestige. He asked for he asked for the bear stop. case, and I'm saying I won't make a case for against Inception. I, I actually think that the the triple cross cutting sequence with the the car falling, the the hallway fight, the 
yes. and the cool snow stuff might be the best 30 minutes that Christopher Nolan has ever done. I sure. will still like stand on that. Now, the first hour, I don't think is the best work that Christopher Nolan has ever done, but I don't think it's bad. Yeah. I the hallway thing with JGL is my favorite part of the movie. It's just so insane. He's I don't I still don't the know elevator because I don't like, know how he did it. It's so like almost I, all real. There is yeah, something I don't know how he did it. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this is gonna get really really meta. Uh, but there is something I think about people our age loving Inception that has to do with Modern Warfare Two. Because that ending snow sequence is the most Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, like, like, sequence. Tom Hardy is no, I mean, Captain Price. He's no, Captain exactly. Price. Right, like, we're in, like, we're in he snow camo. Captain we're Price. in That's snow camo. Call. It's legitimately, it's, uh, it's essentially, like, an arena uh, with a, you know, with certain checkpoints that you're going after. And, and the timing of, of the, when I think a lot of us saw Inception and, you know, our relationship to Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 is, I would argue is like the most important video game of like our generation uh of of people yeah i uh, mean that and bond i feel like that sequence yeah. is so bond because it's, it's bond. also a little silly like Both? they literally run a wire between two trees and two guys on snowmobiles so like zoo like right. like, and Tom like in every bond movie <laughs> yeah it's Tom like Hardy, so... we need you on this staff yeah. he's just, yeah. just he gets on the snowmobile and he takes like 40 dudes yeah it's just he has, missing like, like a bad bomb. snow pun yeah, he's literally hitting slides. Actually, that's very modern warfare. He's like sliding on snow, shooting guys like up on the tower and stuff. Drop shot. He's drop also, shot. Also, yeah, amazing Killian Murphy in that sequence. Like that amazing. actually does hit for me hard emotionally when he's yeah. in talking to his dad. When he pulls out the little pinwheel, I'm like, oh boy, we brought it home. Um, I'm kind of talking myself into Inception, but it's locked in. <laughs> it's such it's a good one. Um, it's locked in. Inception at six. The Prestige at five. All right. We're, good on top, those. we're in the top four. So yeah. we have currently The Dark Knight, Interstellar, Dunkirk, and Oppenheimer. Wow. So everyone has Oppenheimer in their top four. That's pretty, I was pretty blown away with wow. Oppenheimer. I, That's blown away with it. I have it. Do we want to reveal where we have Oppenheimer? Maybe just for... Yeah, I think it could be fun. Sure. sure. It could be fun. Sure. I have it at two. I have it at number two. Three. I have it at three. Have it, I have it at number one. Oh! Hell yeah. Whoa. Hell yeah. Call your shot, Whoa. JT Chipman. I walked out Whoa. of the theater and I was like, all right, Nolan did it. That's over. Yeah. <laughs> I love like, it. Chip's like, that's it. We're good. I will say, I walked out of that theater more excited about what he's going to do in the future than I've ever been walking out of, or like after seeing one of his movies sick um, tenant was like that for me too i, I tenant was just like I, this guy could literally yet, and yet you had it anything and yet you had it because it's just again you watch a movie six times and you have no idea what's going on you at some point you just have to he tells you it in the movie it's, don't it's think margins. about it don't Evan think was about right it. margins of uh, error here all right so, margins. so in, forest hit. firmly 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 interstellar for me you, what yeah, do you, you have the dark night here no, 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 no. I no, mean, no. the dark, the I, dark night. Dark Knight's in the top two. So you have oh. done. Whoa. Okay. So you have Dunkirk here. I have the Dark Knight right here. I would have, <laughs> I'd have Interstellar here, but I've had the dark. I would have the Dark Knight at three. 
Interstellar's a four. Interstellar's is a mess. I love that movie. It meant yeah. the world to me. I cry every time. <laughs> I love <laughs> it. It's, it's a hot. Right it is a hot mess. That movie's what? a mess, and it's a, it's a beautiful mess. I actually think you, Interstellar, funnily and funny enough, is like pretty tight. I, am I crazy for thing? I know it's like I I would I mean, agree with you. Like obviously it's long and complicated, but I it, to me it makes sense. Me too. Well, yeah, time, even time the gravity, it, well, I mean, the science is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly complicated, and it doesn't make sense, but that's fine. Like, it's but fine. But the movie it's a doesn't make movie. the science complicated. I'm trying to judge it, like, because that's that's what everyone did, right? Like, I walked out of the Interstellar Theater, or the theater, and I'm like, oh, my God, this movie. And every article online is like, we talked to 10 scientists. I'm like, I didn't. You know, like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like... I watched a movie, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like watching a baseball movie. And like, we called up, you know, Cal Ripken. He says that fastballs actually don't come in. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, let's talk about here. Like, of course, of course, like we can't go enter a black hole and then like come out the other. Come on. You could. It's, I'm it's, not saying that this could happen, but like the idea that people are like black hole, huh? This, Literally every scientist that you talk to is like, we have no idea what happens, by, uh, like beyond the edge of a black hole, right? Like, right. come on, maybe, maybe like we the got te- the tesseract. Creatures, the the tesseract is incredible. The spinning, the scene where he's spinning the, uh, the spacecraft and he has yes. to match it to the spin yes. of the space that, station, that, yes. hits it. The calls to 2001 Space Odyssey, of course, like yes. it's just like a love letter to Stanley Kubrick. It, Even just the scene on the wave planet with him and uh, with McConaughey and, I mean, and Hathaway. When it's a planet just, of like, waves. Yeah, it's. Dude, I mean, when he says those mountains, those aren't mountains is probably one of my favorite lines in, in all movies. Like that was just like when you're Brand, in the theaters, you're like, get back oh, here, Brad. Uh, McConaughey in how many Interstellar years? is. I, it, well, he's it like, might it was, be my favorite leading. It was movie. right in the middle of the McConaughey Wait, you think yeah. you so this your favorite lead performance out of any it Killian, I think, is is competing with him. It yeah. might be before Oppenheimer, I believe this was my favorite lead performance so in any Christopher Nolan movie. What do you where do you have Heath? Because I, I, I consider that a lead performance. Where do See, you have that's Heath tough. I, I had somebody say that. He's kind of not in the movie as much as you supporting. remember. Like yeah. I rewatched The Dark Knight last night. Um He disappears for a while. He, he's not actually he only has kind of like six scenes, but you just they're so memorable. Yeah, um, I don't I don't if I consider the lead. Yeah, that's the best performance ever in a Christopher Nolan movie, I think. But McConaughey, just the whole movie is weighted on him. And the second half of the movie, he's doing it with a visor over his face. And it's still like just the way his little like neck is jutting out. Everything that he's doing to me is so perfect in that movie. Um, I don't know. It's- I I, I have it at three. I wouldn't die if it was yeah. here at four. I'll, I have it, I'll I have it compromise four. it down to four. Um, okay. This I is the Nolan that, like, all the emotional stuff hits. This is the emotional Nolan for love. me. Love. Me too. Love. It transcends. Love. love. Yeah. I, Dr. Yeah. Man, the Lazarus Project. It's this everyone's should, connection. Should, Don't leave. This should hit. Don't let him leave. This Murph. Hit Don't more. Leave Murph. <laughs> Come on, Murph. Nobody I, cr- said I cried five said. separate times watching it this most recent time. Same. Just individual points in the movie. It doesn't yeah. – it's also my favorite um, score 
in a maybe it's my favorite i'll put it as my favorite zimmer score i me too but, i think the, dr- too. the drone the drone taking them to the nasa astronauts like that it and then michael kane is not very good in that movie and i love rage rage against the dying of the light but i think that border that borders borderlines on like a little like overplayed like it's he leans into it a little he's too oh, earnest with the it. use right. of that right right against right. the dying of the light and then he, right. and then he's like the plan was the plan was never to save us it was to save the other people like he's, that's a good twist but he's like, not great on his deathbed that that part i'm like what are you saying dude dude but it's hitting so hard i'm sobbing i'm sobbing but it's, it's like this Chastain they've been waiting for a dude. mission and randomly a drone brings matthew mcconaughey there to then man the mission it's like it no, wasn't no, no. a drone. It's, he brought himself. It was it was the gravity. It was the um the With sand the coordinates. The yeah. sand on the coordinates. Well, but but the but the isn't the drone related to it as well? No, he no. it's the it's the sandstorm. They come back, her windows open, and he as the ghost has right. dropped the coordinates, the coordinates in the sand yes. on the it sounds worse than a drone, but it's so amazing because <laughs> It's, it's him so reaching through that, Europe like, when we talk but about it, and then you watch the movie. Into, once you get into outer space, it's like kind of unimpeachable. Yeah. But like, it, it's a little rough getting to outer space. Oh, but I love, but I love the drone part. Like driving yeah. through corn, and it's that sick. is a cool, it's a nerd sick. thing. Like they went to Oregon because he wanted the visual of corn at the base of mountains. That is insane. And there's nowhere in the U.S. like anywhere the corn is grown is yeah. completely flat. And he, he threw like the shit corn. corn grew the corn and sold it for profit and oh i didn't even realize that that's hilarious um i kind of love when he's driving around and then like the arguments you know about the the textbooks and stuff i don't know the the cut the emotional scene when he's about (laughs) he's gonna go to college that when the the emotional scene when he's about to leave and he's hugging murph and then he goes out gets into the car he's driving away he's crying and then it immediately cuts to take off it's such a and affect it. I don't know. Yeah, we can it, move it's, on. It's, Jed had this at like number eleven, so we don't need to keep talking. Uh, no, 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 no. I don't know how Jed doesn't care about this movie as a father of daughters. I, it, as Jed is the most emotional guy on the pod too. I don't know how he doesn't. Percent. So no, no, no. It, it has nothing to do with. So I want to go on record as saying I didn't have it at eleven. <laughs> uh, I had it at seven on my list. Uh, and I like when we were at like number nine. Didn't you say this is where I have Interstellar? You were like, I'm no, cool. no. You were like, I'm cool with Interstellar being here. I think that was we're his, like, uh, we're like fuck you. <laughs> there's a little pod. There's a little pod lore behind it. I, I'm I'm a little jaded that uh, that Interstellar made me made me miss. I'm blaming Interstellar for making me miss Mission Impossible: uh, Dead Reckoning Part One because <laughs> I started fair. I started rewatching it. Sean, I don't know if you listened to last week's pod, but I started watching it. Uh, as I waited for like an 11:45 p.m. showing of Mission Impossible, and I fell asleep on my couch. Yeah, uh, that sounds about right. Yeah. Wow, 11:45. Good for you. Yeah, I think I fell asleep <laughs> right before he started driving through the corn. Um, but it was basically like <laughs> the the showings in Reno were like 6:40, which is pre my daughter's bedtime, so that was a no go. And then 11:45, and I, I hadn't I kept putting it off, and I was like, all right, I guess I gotta go see it at 11:45, and I uh, firmly did not make it. Um, <laughs> so. It, not a great, not a great necessary time for me to be evaluating yourself. But I want to, I want to again go on record. I think this yeah. is a great movie. Um, I, I think in the top, like we were talking about some of the most thrilling Nolan sequences. I think 
the sequence of matching, uh, you know, the the RPMs of the ship mm-hmm. is up mm-hmm. there for so me. Good. As as far as just like how um, in, emotionally invested I am in what in what is happening on screen. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, you, if you like space, that movie is. Yeah, you just, know what? Space, yeah. take it or leave it. You know. Uh, yeah. Space, <laughs> love. If you're into any of these things, check out this movie. I, last thing I want to make on the interstellar. Yeah, time too. Time as well. Oh, big, yeah, I'm a big as a big time guy, you know. Yeah, big time guy. Um, I still think as good as Matt Damon is in Oppenheimer, he is looking up at his performance as Doctor Man in Interstellar. So good. He is so it? good when he shows it? up, dude. Like, so it's wild. When did the Martian, you feel it? Martian came out in 2013 and Interstellar was 2014. Him? No, oh, no, Martian was after. After, like yeah, six, so yeah. him. Him doing like Do those two movies back to back is insane. Like, I thought I could watch this. I can't. Like yeah, that can't. stuff is Dude. so. Good. And McConaughey's like, Cooper. you fucking coward, and he just goes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. like five times, like yes. He's like, yeah, this is survival like, instinct. He's like, no man in the history of the world has had to endure what I endured. I'm like, damn, I, I believe. And his name is. Speaking of text being, you know, subtext being text. His name is Doctor Man. They are betrayed <laughs> by man. <laughs> the Lazarus Project. Oh man, great! Yeah. All right, Damon is insane. In that Dude, movie. when he starts like, crying when he comes out of the the sleeping pouch and he's just like insane, <laughs> like oh my god, so good. But it's a cold uh, one. It's cold. All right, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna recap for everyone right Our now. So at number twelve, following at number eleven, Batman Begins. At number ten, Insomnia. At number nine, The Dark Knight Rises. At number eight, Memento. At number seven, Tenet. Number six, Inception. Number five, The Prestige. Number four, Interstellar. There are three movies left on the board. The Dark Knight, Dunkirk, and Oppenheimer. How are we going to slot these three? Dunkirk at three. I have The Dark Knight at three. I have The Dark Knight as three as well. Chip, what do you it, got? It's. It... I would Chip. put The Dark Knight at three. I would. Me too. You're... Uh, it's like it's like Sean, saying you'd rather listen to Yeezus over my beautiful twisted dark fantasy or or the graduation. Like we like get it. It has the hits. Days of the week, I would pick Yeezus over those albums anyway. <laughs> I love Yeezus. I, I love Yeezus. I, that's I really, that's such a. Evan, I was I was there. I was there on the. Can we translate? Can we translate that, that into like Zeppelin albums for people that uh, you know don't listen to as much rap? I don't know. I'm trying to think of a. Let me Google Taylor Swift albums again. I'll do this bit again where I pretend I feel like, I like Taylor is, Swift. I feel like this is a little bit like, um, you know, somebody arguing for like Boogie Nights over Phantom Thread or something, yeah, right? Yeah. It's like, come on. If you're going to toss on a movie on a Tuesday night and you're kind of bored, you're tossing on fucking Boogie Nights. Like, you want to hang out with Dirk Diggler. You're not, you're not tossing on, you know, Phantom Thread and watching like. A, you know, a master at work or something like that. I don't know. It, it kind of has that vibe. Or, or do you want like a Wagyu burger or you just want to go get in and out burger and you know it's going to taste exactly the same. It's mm. going to be incredible. It's going to hit right. That analogy that's has, the dark has night. almost swayed me. <laughs> that, that, that that's analogy. the dark night. Yeah. The okay, first here's... 15 minutes of the dark night are just yeah. perfect. The dark just night perfect. is like unimpeachable. You know, mm-hmm. there's like hardly a bad thing that you can say about it that like doesn't actually matter you know like the, whatever criticisms you have don't actually matter for the movie i agree i actually even kind of like i love the um fairy sequence like so people kind of shit yeah, on yeah. that sequence i think it's i i was my mind was blown when i first saw that sequence i was like this man is a genius <laughs> okay here's i would i'll throw something i'm gonna throw a full scenario out there 
I be, because it just came out and because I'm the only one who's got it at number one. And nope. I think that as time goes and it's going to grow in estimation, I, but I'm fine putting it at three Oppenheimer at three. And then I would propose dark Knight two Dunkirk one. I, I could get behind that. It's a tempting scenario. I could get behind I that. I can't have Dunkirk at one. So would you, so how would you, you feel have about you, you were saying you want Oppenheimer at, Dunkirk at three? Oh, dude! I, I Chip, just like Chip's gone full Jedi mind yeah, trick. You can't, you cannot watch Dunkirk without subtitles. Like, just, just throwing that out there. You have argument, to watch argument. that movie with subtitles on. You have I no idea what they're saying. Whoa, whoa, whoa! There's like 16 lines of dialogue. You don't need to know what they're saying. You could. It's literally... basically a silent movie. Yeah. He's yeah. on me. I'm on him. I mean, Tom. That's yeah. all you need. Evan and I. <laughs> that's all you need. I, Tom Hardy and Tom Hardy in in that movie is again. This has been a very. Uh, it's. The fuel gauge, him just riding in chalk. I'm like, I just, he was there. He was in that place. The old man, I I don't know the actor's name, but the man who. Mark Ryland. You know, yeah, he's Mark Ryland. He's so good in that movie. Just like the capsulation. That's our introduction to the man, the myth, the legend. Yes. We're going to war, George. Shout out the Banshees. I just don't, I just think here's the deal. Here's the argument, my argument, I think Dunkirk's the best movie he's ever made because I think it, is exactly everything that we're talking about where he just cuts out the fluff. It's like, yo, I can make a, uh, I can make, I want fluff. With, bas- with basically <laughs> zero lines of him, imp- like actually like plot important dialogue. And you will be able to know exactly what's happening. And I'm going to tell like a very powerful narrative story. It, it might as well be a silent film. Like the dialogue is, it, it is good, but you could watch it without the dialogue and you would know exactly what's happening you'd yeah. follow the plot uh and i think talk about the best sequence in his entire filmography is that bomb run down the beach the when he when uh what's his face i can't remember his name lays in the sand and the bombers up ahead the and it's white just head, I believe, yeah, right? four explosions Boom. the carrying the Boom. stretcher Boom. is a that so continuous sick. shot is, like is i actually think insane. The 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 sound in this movie is so crucial though. Like I actually love this score, that ticking clock. Um, no, the sound is not the dialogue. Yeah, right, not the dialogue, but the ticking clock leading into the music finally swelling when the boats come in. Like I actually, and then it's you know single tier Brana just like throwing a hundred and seven mile per hour Aroldis Chapman <laughs> fastball with the tear down the cheek. Like that that stuff is. It's such a great moment, and yeah, I think so. For me, you know, I am a, I'm a real like cinematography whore. Um, this movie to me just is like his best looking movie, o- almost like without. The foam, this is one of the best looking the movies. Sea foam, I think. The sea foam is so good. Oh, I'm and just like, wow, that'd be what a beautiful place to die. That beach is gorgeous. <laughs> I mean, it's, I'm like, World War II was terrible, man. It's and the ultimate, like, yeah, it's the ultimate, you know up and down and um i mean but, as good as top gun maverick is I, I honestly don't think the aerial photography even touches no dunkirk I like i really don't think it even touches dunkirk yeah I'm, again I'm, all of that is great but but let's put a smile on that face i mean just we're talking about iconic stuff i mean we're 
we're talking about like someone putting together an incredible 334 season with 26 jack. We're talking about Buster Posey in 2012 as Dunkirk. Sometimes just oh, that's just give me the Shohei. You are pandering just to give me, Evan right just now. Just give me the show. Give me the Shohei Otani. I just want to see somebody throw a hundred and hit 60 jacks, and that's what Heath Ledger is doing. That's but that's, that's not what, what that's Batman, not what no, that's what Batman, no, 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 Dark no. that's not what ba- that's yes. not what that's not what the Dark Knight is. Yes. The Dark Knight is not Shohei Otani. No. Yes, it is. No. Oh, that is the greatest comic book movie in an era where comic book movies have dominated everything for about, 20 years. But if you're talking about Shohei Otani and you're talking about somebody doing like two things Remember, at the highest level, it's Oppenheimer then. Because it's everyone the wants and to it's watch the, Shohei and it's the quiet dialogue. Uh, I like that. I like that analogy. Remember, Shohei Otani is for the masses. Dunkirk nah, Dark Knight's Aaron Judge's broke ass 60. Dunkirk is for the masses though. Like dude, yeah, it's for I the think, British masses who I care about very no, very much. Dunkirk, like, <laughs> like it's unbelievable. Yeah. Like yeah, dude, they no, lost the, they right. lost the revolutionary war. It's for the Brits, but it, I mean it, it's so I feel like it's so accessible. I mean, I, I can totally understand certain people bumping up against the Dark Knight and just being like, individual scenes are great, but this is maybe it's doesn't come together for everyone. But I feel like Dunkirk is like almost kind of. If I could transport it, you to stand on the southern shores of Great Britain, like you, you would understand. Like that's that's all I have to say, Sean. So like, what, what's everyone's number one here? Yeah, what's, I, what's not even not even. Overall, because some people have lost number one already. Out of these three movies. Yeah. Dark Knight. Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Oppenheimer. Okay. So do we go off majority vote there? So I feel like... Technically not a majority. Technically that's not a majority vote yet. Okay, fair. You're you're right. You're right. Um, So out of audience scores... Dunkirk, 81%. Dark Knight, 94%. That's what we I'm saying about We don't care. About, we don't give a, sh- we don't give a shit. We could give a, a shit that, about that, audience scores. No, he's right, though, because the appealing to the masses point, he's he's combating that. So I get what you're saying. That's, I don't care about audience score. I watch movies that like audiences. <laughs> I don't either. But I'm just telling you, when it's a 94% like critical score and a 94% audience score and they match up and they're that high, there's a reason. Movies. So. Incredible. You're telling me it's generational. It the Dark defined Knight. a period of movies. It's one of the most famous movies of all time. Yes. But is it his best movie? That's what we're trying to feel. Like, it, we're looking at this list of 12 movies. Are we going to feel good walking away from this saying, out of all 12 of these movies, The Dark Knight is the best? Absolutely. Absolutely fucking not. Not even, like, a little bit. Like, it is a phenomenal movie. I love The Dark Knight. I think it stands alone especially in the comic book genre. But, I watched The Dark Knight right now. Yeah, but... Who yeah. watched? Who rewatched it? I didn't rewatch okay. it. I did. I didn't have to because I've seen it like 10 times. But, but, his, I, best, I, but yes. his best movie is, in my head, he's either Dunkirk or Oppenheimer, and I think uh, Oppenheimer is suffering from like significant recency bias, even though how much recency I loved bias. it. And so what I'm saying is like I gotta go, I have to go Dunkirk. Dunkirk, I thought Dunkirk was his best movie for a few years now, and I think it's the greatest war movie of all time. We gotta start, okay. we so, gotta figure so out Dunkirk, how to vote. Dunkirk, Dark Knight, Oppenheimer, that's the three. I, so I, I, I'm okay with that from the standpoint of, like, if we factor in the recency, recency bias for Oppenheimer, but I really do think, like, like, Oppenheimer is, is gonna be really interesting to watch age. I don't, I'm not 100 percent 
ready to say like in what way it's going to age but man i here's the other thing with dark knight i low-key think that last year's batman might be a my preferred batman movie wow so now we're saying that this movie that someone to put it number one is not even better than a matt reeves picture this is rough that's and that we lo- that- Evan and I loved that movie. I saw the movie twice. There are yeah, moments in that movie where it's like, oh, this movie's long. Like, <laughs> like checking your watch long. Uh, no, really no, no, no. Like that movie. Can't, no, I abide. saw it twice in theaters and I've seen it like four times. There are moments can't, where I'm like, I, cannot, you forget what your name is when you're watching The Dark Knight. Like, that's how strapped in you are watching that movie. It is like a perfect <laughs> action movie. I, I'm fine. I Can we all agree on Oppie Dark Knight? Dunkirk. Well, yeah, we we can agree. I'm Will we agree? Your question. Well, that was tossed uh, what out. About Sean? Wait, Tosser. no, but I mean, no, Jed, you, if you you're... said that in reverse, he said it in reverse. You meant Dunkirk, oh. Dark Knight, Oppenheimer. Dunkirk at number one. I, I meant I meant from three, two, one. Dunkirk at number one. Dark Knight number two. Oppenheimer number three. That feels like a compromise. It is a compromise. I don't want to be here's the thing is like guys like I don't want to be recency bias podcast but I could flip that too I could flip it I, I'll put Oppenheimer at one right now I'll fucking do it I mean don't don't tempt me so it feels like Sean's getting squeezed out of his number one out of the preferred so yeah I remember I had inception it went, and Jed's number three got precedent over my one in the prestige so if I'm just if, look, I'm I'm the guest here, but I'm gonna, <laughs> well, I'm guess I'm gonna, what I'm, I'm saying gonna, is you don't kowtow to our guests. You decided to enter the ring. It. You decided <laughs> to enter the ring of fire. No one, no one said, you know what? Come on, it's gonna be a nice, fun podcast. <laughs> and every just cur- out of curiosity sake, since we're squeezing your number one, would you rather have Dunkirk at one, Dark Knight Oppenheimer, or Oppenheimer at one, Dark Knight Dunkirk? Says well, I think man. my number one would be Dark Knight. And then I would have Oppenheimer, and then I would have Dunkirk. But compromise is Dunkirk, Dark Knight. That's not what he's asking. He's what he's asking you. Let me just translate for you, uh, because you didn't like the that way his question was with the question was phrased. Chip has Oppenheimer at number one. He wants to know if you will ride with him for Oppenheimer. At <laughs> oh, 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 squad, squad ride. <laughs> yeah. um, if you if you're willing to bandy on Dark Knight at two, then I'm willing to to join I forces. Think I think we're firmly gonna we're gonna compromise uh compromise at dark knight at two i personally would like it dunkirk one oppie at three i don't think it it should be a question but oppie is a spectacular film and you know evan where's your suntan lotion and sunglasses brother no i'm you know what I'm I'm perfectly fine. I I really I, I would be pretty disappointed if we walked out of this with the Dark Knight at number one. So if just be just because like I just, this man is such a master filmmaker, I can't have a comic book movie be number one, no matter how good it is. So like if the compromise is putting Dunkirk at three, in order to get Oppen like honestly, I put Oppenheimer at two after watching it one time in a yeah. movie theater. Like yeah. I. I watched this movie four more times. I'm probably going to be like, how did I ever even consider another movie? So I'm probably well, fine. You got, we have for Dark Knight. The 70, the 70 millimeter uh, drunk goggles or something else. It was truly just absurd watching it in 70. So I can think why having it one or two makes sense, Evan. 
If but yeah, you're that, right. It would be number if one. We put right? Oppie at one though. Somebody on this podcast is like legally required to put a 70 millimeter projector screen in their in their house. Like that's like. <laughs> Evan, do you think you could fit that in your apartment in San Francisco? Sir, I literally <laughs> just moved in with Emily, and that—that's <laughs> the first thing. Ruined, what? That probably ruins any chance of me doing that. Otherwise, I would have had that thing, brrr, however they sound, <laughs> purring, sitting next to my bed, purring. Could you? What if you just got your na- your upstairs neighbor to like knock down the wind, the wall, so that you could just extend Dude, the project? Let me have it. Like tonight, I would be watching um inherent vice and i'd have docs like i'd only be able to see his nose you know because of the way it's projected onto my wall but i would be uh i'd be ripping inherent vice tonight if i had a 70 so, millimeter so hold on i am i am i understanding what you're saying correctly as like you're down for opiate number one yeah I i'm down like, to go oppenheimer dark knight dunkirk wow no, like i mean that the compromise has to be made because Here's sean the, is riding really hard for dark knight i agree it's the only one he's riding for. Here's so here's the number one case details. for Oppenheimer in my head. Okay. I think by far and away, like not even a question, it is the single best group of performances from top to bottom in a Nolan film. I think Interstellar is number two probably from performances alone, like the depth. Yeah, yeah. It's such a deep bench. I, I mean, you can you're, you're, you've got like a – you can have like three sets of like a five-man rotation. Yeah. I agree. Um, it is I'm, entirely I'm down to just beat team recency bias. I could throw. I, I think Oppenheimer is better than Dunkirk, so I, I can go. I think Chip does Dunkirk. too. So that's two people. And you know what? I in this scenario, I I would prefer Oppenheimer, Dunkirk, Dark Knight, but Sean is a guest, so I do want him to walk away with something. He did also lose his number one, very like, unceremoniously. Dramatic. And yeah, Sean and Sean was like tough. trying to fucking put Dunkirk at like nine. So we No, I, I had Dunkirk at five. I believe but I believe I believe your exact words, we can roll the tape on this podcast, is I will I can't I cannot have Dunkirk at number one. So we're gonna respect that. We'll respect because <laughs> that is true. I, is. Again, like it'd be like me then talking about two hours about why Asteroid City is the best movie in the world. Like I get it, like Asteroid City is a great movie. Dunkirk is a great movie. But, like, let's be real here. What do I actually want to watch when I, like, want to put on a movie? When I want want to feel like that classic, that classic Nolan experience, I give me The Dark Knight. Truly just a special movie. It's just, like, give me, I get, like, in a zone every time I watch it. Because it's just such an incredible experience every time. I came into this podcast so adamant that we were not going to have Oppenheimer at one. And I, I can't believe I was so foolish. I was so foolish. Chip played his Chip played his cards right this whole this whole episode. He I, he, he won. I was banking he on definitely won this one. Well, you pushed up Tenet. You you let Prestige slide. That gave you a lot of capital, and then you just moved in tough with with Oppenheimer. It's how gotta, it works sometimes. It how it, it's how it works sometimes. Uh, but I'm pretty happy with this list. Are you guys ready for the final final reveal of our official Nolan ranking? Do, Do it. it. Number 12, following. Number 11, Batman Begins. Number 10, Insomnia. Number 9, The Dark Knight Rises. Number 8, Memento. Number 7, Tenet. Number 6, Inception. Number 5, The Prestige. Number 4, Interstellar. Number 3, Dunkirk. Number 2, The Dark Knight. And number 1, Oppenheimer. I feel pretty good about that. You will, all this should tell you is, go if you haven't seen Oppenheimer, 
go see it. Go see Oppenheimer. And if you have seen Oppenheimer, go see it again and see it in fucking IMAX. Uh, I'm going to go again this weekend. I've actually got, because I, I slotted out two potential babysitting date nights to take uh, my wife to see Barbie. And she also was really bummed that she couldn't see Oppenheimer. So I booked both potential babysitting. Barbenheimer. And so we're going to Barbenheimer uh, with her so she can see. That's awesome. So she can see Oppenheimer. I think she will love it. As she's a big American history aficionado. So she will like, I think she's going to like lose her mind. Hell Uh, yeah. So I'm excited. Thank you guys as always for listening. If you haven't already, follow us on Twitter at Flick and Scream on Instagram at Flicking and Screaming. Thank you so much to our special guest, Sean Moran. An old friend. This was a long time coming. I think you were like the original, like, we're going to have Sean on the pod eventually once we do Nolan. You waited. You bided your time. I hope it was worth it. Please this plug, was the right episode for me. This please, was the right episode for me. Uh, please plug your podcast because uh, I think there there will be some crossover listeners for sure. Yeah. Um, it is the Regression of the Mean podcast. We're available on Spotify, YouTube. We're, we're there on Apple. Follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, at RTM Fantasy. Yeah, it's just uh, three buddies talking fantasy. Big, big virgin vibes. We love it. Uh, That's how we ride. Haven't seen the light of day in six months. Been grinding spreadsheets. We're ready to win some people some fantasy leagues. That's the way we do it. That's Draft Almond Ross, same brown. Draft draft Almond Ross, same brown. I'll leave it at that. Hell yeah. There you go. Uh, Thank you guys so much. Next week, we are going to be talking about Greta Gerwig's latest film, Barbie. Oh, I, uh, I I'm, like, really I like for, I'm really excited for I that. Like Chip's not going to be on that podcast uh, because of some of some potential leanings that he's already uh, he's already admitted that I don't know if I can abide, even though I haven't seen the movie. Barbie uh, is a movie. It's a film that was released in the year 2023, directed by Greta. Gerwig. I thought it was funny. I thought it was funny. It's it's uh, if you don't think The Dark Knight is worthy of a high ranking, you are going to hate. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, all right. Dude, that's streaming. Just, that's just facts. For Flick and Screaming, Jed Sprague, J.T. Chipman, Evan Fagundis, thank you, Sean Moran, for joining us. Have a good one, everybody. And now, the starting lineup for your... Jasters, what's up, guys? I go slacker. I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. God bless the internet.